0: Today on Awaken to Grace, we are in part one of a brand new series called Battling Unbelief. For so many of today's Christians, unbelief just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But as we're going to see in the Bible today, when it comes to the Lord, unbelief is a very serious matter. In today's sermon, I'm going to define for you what Unbelief is so that we can really recognize it in our life. And then we're going to answer um, what has always been for me a very complicated question why did God not allow Moses into the promised land? We're going to study Numbers 20 today. We're going to see why, how Moses struck the rock twice rather than speaking to it. And then it God says, because of this, you're not going to enter the promised land. We're going to see how what Moses did in its reality is unbelief. And we're going to see how we can guard our lives from the exact same mistake. I'm glad you're listening to today's edition of Awakened to Grace. Before there can be triumph in our spiritual lives, before there is triumph in our marriages, before there is triumph in our parenting, before there's triumph in, in the areas that we're entrusting to the Lord and, and we're bringing before Him, listen, friends, the unbelief has to go from our hearts. Do you realize how serious of an issue that unbelief was to Jesus? Jesus. When he walked the earth. Now think about this. In the Gospels, the Bible says that Jesus could not perform miracles in his hometown, not because of satanic activity. You with me? Not because of spiritual oppression, not because of demonic influences. The Bible says that Jesus could not perform miracles in his hometown due to their what? Oh, you know that scripture. Praise God. Due to their unbelief. And yet I am so saddened that in today's church culture, for many of us, unbelief is not that big of a deal. How often do we hear someone say, oh, I wish I had faith like so-and-so. Friends, that shouldn't be acceptable. We look back in church history and we go, oh, if only we had faith like so-and-so. Friends, I want to get to a place where when God detects unbelief in my heart, it is unacceptable. And I attack unbelief with the word of God. And I don't allow it. Because friends, if unbelief shut down miracles in the day of Jesus, what is unbelief shutting down in our own spiritual lives? What is unbelief shutting down in our churches? What is unbelief shutting down in our prayer lives? So friends, this is a major topic. A huge issue between us and the Lord. And so similar to our Emotions That Destroy series, I think the Lord is is going to work in a similar way. If I can can detect anger, then the Lord can help me replace anger, right? (laughs) If I can detect jealousy, the Lord will help me replace jealousy. If I can detect greed, I can replace greed. If I can detect guilt, I can replace guilt. If I can detect unbelief through the help of the spirit of God, then I can replace it with faith. Amen? Amen. Oh, it's going to be a fun series. So today we're going to be in what has always been in my mind a very complicated scripture, Numbers chapter 20. Do you recall the story of Moses striking the rock twice instead of speaking to it? And do you remember what his punishment was? God said, you will not enter the promised land. Now, friends, I don't know how you feel, but the way I've always felt, it just feels like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Have you ever felt that way for Moses? Here he's been faithful. He's led the nation the way God told him to, and he makes one mistake. He makes one blunder. He strikes the rock rather than speaking to it and now God sentences him though it seems and his sentencing is you will not enter the promised land and it feels like because Moses got angry and hit the rock, now God's angry at Moses and won't let him in the promised land and it's just never felt to me like the punishment fit the crime. It's always been a mystery to me. This story has always just had a cloud over it that I just didn't understand it. Didn't, it wasn't clear to me. Well, after diving deep into the text and seeking the heart of the Lord, I, I believe that now I do understand this text. And God willing, through His Holy Spirit, perhaps we'll leave today with greater clarity and really understanding what what really was happening in Numbers chapter 20. Now before we read it, I want to define unbelief. It's important that we give a very clear definition of what unbelief is. Um, If I were to stand you up and put you on the spot, which I would not do, but if I were, how would you define unbelief? What would you say unbelief is? Well, I've wrestled with this and this is the definition that I have come up with that in my heart, and my mind, and my view of Scripture, this is to me what unbelief is. Unbelief is when someone knows what God says and expects yet thinks and acts in an opposite manner. Unbelief is when I know what God says, I know what God expects, but I think and I act contrary to what He says. I do opposite of what I know God says or thinks. So therefore, if the Bible tells me, Chad, you're not to worry. Does the Bible tell us not to worry? Be anxious for nothing, Philippians? For be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if God tells me, Chad, don't worry, and I sit there and I wring my hands and I fret and I worry and I make myself sick worrying, friends, is that unbelief? Because what have I just done? I have thought and I have behaved opposite of what I know God's word says. That's unbelief. If I know what the Bible says, and the Bible says, Chad, let thanksgiving abound in your life. That means like riverbanks overflowing. Chad, be a thankful person. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. But be thankful. If If I allow complaining in my life and I go around complaining about my lot in life and what God's given me or what he hasn't given me and I just always let myself complain, friends, is that unbelief? No. My goal today is to show you that there are forms of unbelief. That's going to be the goal throughout the whole series. We'll see how there are forms in our life of unbelief. But yet most of us don't pay attention to it. And so we just think, well, this is just how we are. And we don't attack that unbelief. And we wonder why God won't answer prayer. We wonder why the heavens are silent. We wonder why it feels like God is powerless in our lives. When for many of us, Our lives, our hearts are filled with unbelief. See, I always thought that when Moses got mad, and make no mistake, Moses was a hothead. Moses had an anger problem. Do you remember how he killed the Egyptian? And then God put him on the backside of a desert for the next 40 years? And then God goes, God comes up to this angry man, Moses, and says, you think you're a hothead. You think you've got fire. Let me show you fire. And how did God reveal himself to Moses? Through the fiery bush that did not consume, right? And Moses got a quick attitude adjustment. And then do you remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai and the Lord is speaking to him? The glory of God is so strong, even his face shone. And he comes down with the very tablets of God. I mean, the very stones that God with his hand engraved. And Moses saw the idol worship and what happened? That anger kicked in. (laughs) And what did he do? He broke them, didn't he? He got so mad he broke what God just did oh and Moses he was a hothead and now here he is with the children of Israel and Moses is going to get angry again and he's going to strike the rock rather than speak to the rock but listen friends See, I always thought that it was his anger. I always thought it was his impatience. That that's why God said, you're not going to go to the promised land. But verse 12 of chapter 20 tells us why. It wasn't his anger per se. It was not his impatience per se. Yes, they were factors. They led up to it. But why was Moses not allowed in? Because what was his sin? Un. Belief. Do you see it? Verse 12. Because you have not believed me and held me as holy before the eyes of the people, you'll not enter the promised land. Now I'm going to explain that in more detail. And I'm going to tell you the purpose of why Moses could not go into the promised land. But let's unpack this scripture a little bit more today and let's understand what the Lord wants to say to us about unbelief. So... How do we define unbelief? It's when we know what God says, we know what God expects, and yet we act and we think opposite of what God says and expects. That, my friends, is unbelief. Unbelief comes in many different shapes and many different sizes and many different forms. Unbelief can be in complaining. Unbelief can be in impatience. Unbelief can be in worldliness. Unbelief can be in ungratefulness. All of those are forms of unbelief. So let's understand a little bit, just, just some backstory. So uh, one thing that I want you to understand, if you're going to take notes today, number one, I want you to note the internal pressure that Moses must have felt. The Bible tells us that when the children of Israel get to this place in Numbers chapter 20, They're in a place called Kadesh. Now, this is highly interesting. A couple of things are going to happen in Kadesh. Number one, Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, is going to die. Now, if you're not careful, you'll read through this text too quickly, and you'll miss the weightiness. You'll miss how important it is that Miriam has died. Now, do you remember... Who Miriam is throughout scripture? Let me just give you a 30 second history of Miriam. Miriam is the older sister of Moses. Boy, older sisters are really something aren't they? I grew up as an only child. And so I wasn't around siblings. And so I can't understand a lot of that. But as most of you know I have four children now. And um, Piper is my oldest, and she is nine years old. And it amazes me the things that she takes on. It amazes me the way that she interacts with her little brothers. John Mark is just about... 15 months old, and Hudson's two and a half. Well, he'll be three now, he'll be three next month. So, but the way that she cares for them, the way that she interacts with them, the way that she fights with them (laughs) because they're siblings, but for the most part, she's like a little mama to them. And do you remember what happened? When Moses should have died as a baby under the law of the government, he should have died. And do you remember how Moses' mother, by faith, took Moses as a baby, put him in the basket, set him in the Nile, and released him into the sovereign hands of God? Whoa. Friends, I've been to the Nile River many, many, many times. And let me tell you, the Nile River is not the Holston River, I can tell you that. And they took me to the place where history says that Moses' mother released him into the Nile River. And oh my lands, what faith that had to have taken. But do you remember who followed Moses down the Nile? Miriam, his oldest sister. She watched for him. She cared for him. It was Miriam who arranged under Pharaoh's daughter to have Moses' own mother care for him and watch him growing up. Miriam. It was Miriam at the crossing of the Red Sea that when that great miracle took place and the armies of Egypt were destroyed, it was Miriam who led the women of Israel in that incredible exaltation to God in Exodus 15, 16. It was Miriam. Sadly, it was Miriam who later in life got sideways with Moses, her brother. And she and Aaron came against Moses and complained against him. And do you remember what God did? God struck her with leprosy. And Moses, even though he was a hothead, (laughs) the Bible says he was the meekest man who ever lived. And he was full of grace. And as he interceded for the nation of Israel, he interceded for Miriam and begged the Lord for healing. And God quarantined her for seven days and God healed her. You know what the beauty of Miriam and Moses are to me is that, I mean, we're talking about absolute giants of faith. And the Bible shows us their flaws. The Bible shows us how imperfect they really were. The Bible shows us that, that they were very human. And that's comforting to me. Well, Miriam has died, and no doubt this has had a tremendous effect, a tremendous loss, a tremendous impact on Moses. If Moses did not love Miriam, he would not have interceded for her the way he did when God gave her leprosy. So, number one, you have a lot of internal pressure happening, I think, in the heart of Moses. But now, number two, you're going to have a world of external pressure at the same time. The Bible says when the children of Israel came to Kadesh, there was no water there. Now, I don't know about you, but now I'm a water drinker. I sip on it all day long. I get cranky if there's no water. I can't imagine real, I mean, really being without water as they are in the wilderness. I bet it got some attitude sideways real fast. And the children of Israel came against Moses, quarreled with him. Now, we're not talking about just going, you know, complaining a little bit. No, they fought. They quarreled. Listen to what they said. They told Moses, they said, Why have you brought us to this evil place? That's significant, guys. Listen, listen, I didn't know this until really diving deep into this text. This is not the children of Israel who left Egypt. Do you realize this? This is not the children of Israel who walked through the parting of the Red Sea. This is the children, this is the sons, the daughters of that generation. That generation has rapidly died off. This is the new generation. And yet, how are they acting? like their mothers and fathers. And they complained to Moses and they say, listen, they said it would have been better for us to have died in the wilderness with our brothers or to have stayed in Egypt. Oh, I bet that sent Moses. It's one thing for that generation that he brought out of Egypt to act like that, but for the new generation to act that way, I bet, oh, I bet he's angry. And so he has the pressure, the internal pressure of Miriam dying. He has the external pressure of no water and the people being angry. And watch what they call this place. They say, Why have you brought us to an evil place? Friends, you can't forget, God's still leading them. Now, they could have had many more blessings. They could have. They could have been into Canaan within 11 days. But they spent 40 days spying the land. When they came back with a bad report, 10 of them, of the 12, said, we can't do it. And God said, for every day you were gone, that's a year that you'll wander in the wilderness. But God's still leading them. But what do they call that place? An evil place. Let me tell you what happened to me last night. Yesterday evening, uh, we went... And ate dinner. Uh we went and ate the Lord's chicken, which is Chick-fil-A, you know, it's the Lord's. And uh and uh we went to Chick-fil-A and coming home, uh I wanted a coffee, and so Sadie stopped at Dunkin' Donuts, and I got a glorious coffee. If you've never mixed French vanilla and caramel together, whew, you're missing out. That was really good. And I'm sitting in the living room and uh for those of you who don't know me, I'm basically 90 years old. I was sitting there listening to C-SPAN because I love C-SPAN, and you may not, but I do. And I was sitting there drinking my coffee, listening to C-SPAN by myself, because shockingly Sadie won't sit there and listen to it with me. So I was sitting there at about 5:30, drinking my coffee, listening to C-SPAN, and um, and my mind begins to wonder. Well, C-SPAN's on, right? No wonder. My mind begins to wonder and I start thinking and I hadn't thought about this in a really long time but my mind began to go back to when I had the fell surgeries on my eye and how that's led to blindness. My mind went back and I began replaying the conversations I had with that doctor who assured me everything would be fine, who told me, Chad, I've done thousands of these. Trust me. My mind went back to the recovery room when he came back there and said, Chad, your retina's detached. You'll never see from that eye again. My mind began to go back and replay some of those things. I could feel my stomach feeling sick. And you know what I had to do in that moment with my glorious coffee in hand? I had to say, no. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Because it doesn't matter what mistake that doctor made. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter how things are shaping out in the natural. I believe that God's sovereign plans are right now Unfolding for my life. Amen. The doctor has nothing to do with it. It's God. I believe, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but I believe that God has closed my eyes in the way He closed Hannah's womb. He closed Hannah's womb only to open it. And I believe He's closed my eyes only to open them again. Amen. So I sat there, and as my mind would wander, I would have to stop. And I thought about the children of Israel at Kadesh. This was a test for them. And they called where God led them. They called it evil. And I stopped last night with my coffee and I said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to call where God has led me evil. Because the book of James, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says, when you encounter various trials, count it as joy. (laughs) Not as evil. Amen. So do you despise joy? where you are right now? Do you look back over a season of your life and despise it? Don't do that, my friend. Because God is still leading you. And sometimes, just like the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 3 and 4, sometimes God is going to lead you into a difficult place. Will you call that evil? Don't do that. Look to the sovereignty of God. And so now Moses and Aaron, they've suffered the loss of their sister Miriam, the internal pressure. They're dealing with this new generation. (laughs) They're dealing with the sons and daughters who they've watched grow up wandering in the wilderness. And now they have the external pressures of no water and an angry people. Well, what do they do? They go to the tent of meeting And there the Lord meets with them. They fall on their face. The glory of God comes down and the Lord speaks to Moses. And the Lord tells Moses, take your staff and speak to the rock. Now this is where it gets a little confusing. Now let's understand something, okay? This has already happened once in Israel's history. Moses has already taken his staff once and struck a rock, and water came forth. Okay? Now, let's understand, because this is going to be key to understand. If you really want to understand this text, Numbers chapter 20, you have to understand uh, what I'm going to explain here to really get the concept. So Moses has already, at one point, taken his staff, hit a rock, water came forth. Now, that is symbolic of Christ being smitten on the cross. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you read that whole chapter, it Paul carefully explains everything that happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness, every experience they had was to our benefit. It was for our example. Everything in the Old Testament is a type, it is a shadow, it is a symbolism of what is coming in the new covenant. So when Moses first went to the rock, and by the way, that word rock in the Hebrew doesn't mean a boulder. I always pictured sitting in the middle of the wilderness this massive boulder, right? And that line from Shrek goes through my head. Right? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. It's not a boulder. It's not this it's that's just I pictured this huge boulder sitting in a wilderness. No, that's not what it was. The, The the Hebrew word for rock here literally means a rocked cliff. This is a massive cliff. And when Moses took his staff and he struck that cliff out of it. Came living water. Friends, what happened to Christ when he suffered on the cross and after he died and the Roman soldier took the spear and he pierced the side of Jesus? Do you remember what came forth? Blood and water. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the rock. The spiritual water that flowed out of the rock is the spiritual water that flowed out of Christ, is the spiritual water today that, as rivers of living water, flow out of our bellies and satisfies our souls. Glory to God. It's symbolic. That first time, listen. This is the symbolism. This is why Moses was not to strike the rock. He was to speak to the rock. It's because Christ was slain only once. He was smitten only one time. Only one time will that sacrifice ever be needed. And when Christ presented his blood before the Father for the eternal redemption of sin, friends, it will never, ever, ever have to be repeated again for all of the history of all of humanity. One time is sufficient. For those of you that feel the weight of your sin, for those of you that maybe as far back as even last night may have blown it, may have messed up, may have sinned, and you feel the shame and you feel the weight and you feel the pressure of your sin, let me tell you, friends, Christ's blood is sufficient for you. And it's sufficient for what you did decades ago. It's sufficient for what you did a year ago. It's sufficient for what you may have done even last week. Christ's blood is sufficient for your sins. And it will never be repeated again. So Moses was not to strike the rock. He was to speak to it. You don't want to symbolize this, church? You and I don't need to come and get saved again and again and again and again. One time Christ was smitten. No, see, now all we must do is but speak it. 1 John 1.9, if we, what, confess our sins, hallelujah, hallelujah. If we confess our sins, Christ, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we we must do is but speak it. Christ will never be smitten again. And so Moses, let's watch what he does. He leaves the tent of meeting. Moses is so careful to do all that God commands him. If you read the life of Moses, you'll see that phrase over and over. Moses did as God commanded. Moses took his staff as God commanded. But when Moses got in front of the people, that anger surfaced. The Bible says he stood before the people. Now remember who he's talking to. These are the children. These are the sons and the daughters of the children of Israel that went through the Red Sea. Sometimes I I go through these portions of Scripture and I just think to myself, what were these people thinking? I mean, if God provided manna from heaven every day in a wilderness, would you not believe in Him? If God split the Red Sea and your parents walked over on dry ground, would you not believe in Him? If you saw a pillar of cloud by day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night leading you, would you not say there's a God in heaven? And sometimes I look at at these people and I go, were they nuts? What did they not see? And sometimes God taps me on the shoulders and says, Chad, you have the precious Holy Spirit in you. You have the word of God. You have no excuse. Friends, do you know, scholars tell us that there are some 7,000 promises in the Word of God. Do you think God will allow unbelief to stand in our lives? When we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, unbelief should not be tolerated. So Moses does fine before the presence of the Lord. But when he gets in front of the children of Israel, his temper is going to flare. Watch what he says. He stands before the children of Israel and rather than saying sons and daughters, rather than saying my people, rather than saying the congregation of the Lord, do you see what he calls them? Now, you rebels. <laughs> Watch out, Moses. Calm down. Here we would say, now, you rednecks. But no, good, sorry. Anyway, here he goes, now, you rebels. Oh, he's hot. Oh, he's mad. The Bible says he lifts his hand. And with the rod, what does he do? He strikes it twice. What happens? Out of this cliff, out of this rock, water burst out. And the Bible says it flowed so abundantly, the whole nation drank. Friends, we're talking a million, up to two million people, and they all drank sufficiently. God still did what God said he would do, even though Moses messed up. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? That God still is faithful in our life even when we prove unfaithful. God is still faithful. So, God tells Moses, because of your unbelief, because you did not present me as holy. Now see, notice what Moses said. Uh, Oh, don't miss this here. This this is the main point I want to share with you. Moses, instead of saying, watch the sovereign hand of God. Watch the holiness of God. Watch the miracle that God's going to do. Water, come forth. No, he didn't do that. Why? Read the text. He says, now you rebels, shall I bring water from this rock? Moses? Moses? Shall I bring water? Oh, Moses, Moses, Moses. Do you know what I think that this story is the greatest symbolism of? If Christ was already smitten once, never to be smitten again, if all we must do is but confess our sins, do you know what this story symbolizes? is us coming to God on our own terms. Us saying, I will get to heaven on my own. I will follow God on my own. What a symbolism of someone who does everything God tells them to do until the final moment where they say, no, it is me. I will do this. Friends, you and I cannot come to God on our own terms. You and I cannot live life on our own terms. You and I cannot come into heaven on our own terms. So let me explain to you as I close today. Let me wrap this up and explain what I think the pure meaning of this story is. You know, before, again, like I said, it bothers me that that the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. And it's like because Moses lost his temper, God judged him and said, You won't enter the promised land, but... I don't think that's the full reason why Moses wouldn't, wouldn't enter. Yes, it's true he was angry. Yes, it's true he was impatient. Yes, he had this unbelief. But listen, who does Moses represent? You, you have to understand types and shadows. You have to read the old covenant through the eyes of this new and better covenant according to the book of Hebrews. And listen, Moses represents the law. The law of God came through Moses. And what does the law teach us? The law shows us our sin. The law shows us our inability to save ourselves. And Moses represents the law. Moses could not lead the children of Israel into the promised land because do you know what Canaan, the promised land, represents? It represents heaven. It represents eternal life. And just as the law could never lead us into eternal life, just like the law cannot lead us into salvation, Moses was unable to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. That was the purpose of the judgment. God didn't just get ticked off and go, well, I'll teach you a lesson. You'll never... No, he symbolizes the law. It was the plan of God. Moses was unable. He didn't have the ability to lead the children of Israel. Only Joshua, who represents who? Jesus can lead us into the promised land. Do you see the point, church? If Moses represented the law, then friends, you and I cannot get to heaven You and I will not enter the kingdom of God. You and I will not enter that eternal state on our own terms. And so it may be that there's far more unbelief in you than you may realize. Allow the Holy Spirit to search you today. Ask him to detect unbelief. And don't let it stand. When I read this, I think about how Moses died. Do you think that Moses missed out on anything? <laughs> see, I, I, we know how Moses died. The Lord led Moses up to a, large, to a high mountain. And from there, Moses could see Canaan. He could see into the promised land. And I almost feel like you know, the way I've always read it, it was almost like God saying, Moses, this is what you could have had if you hadn't got angry and hit the rock. No, I don't think that. Not now. Do you know what I think God said to Moses when he died? See, he died on top of that mountain. And the Bible says that, the, that God himself buried the body of Moses. Why do you think God himself buried the body of Moses? Well, let me tell you two reasons why I think. Uh, Number one, the most practical reason is because if the children of Israel knew where the body of Moses was, they would have made him a shrine and would have worshiped him as a God. And that's a fact. So God hid his body. But number two, because Moses was a friend of God. God loved Moses and God cared for Moses. And you know, I just can't help but think that when God, when they were on top of that mountain and Moses is looking into the promised land and Moses is thinking, I'll never step foot in that promised land. I can't help but think that God said, Moses, come here. You've not seen nothing. You've not seen anything yet. Follow me. Moses didn't miss out on anything, my friends. He didn't miss out on anything. And maybe today, maybe you feel like you're really missing out. Maybe it was a past engagement from years ago that in your mind you've always thought, I've missed something. Maybe it was a career change that never, it never worked out and in your head you go, I missed something. maybe maybe it's a move out of state that you never made and in the back of your head you go I bet I've missed it no my friends the best is yet to come for us I don't think you've missed anything don't live in the past like that and don't live in unbelief as the Holy Spirit shows it to you get it out rid yourself of it Put faith. Where there's unbelief, put faith. Moses, he paid a high price for his unbelief, but I don't think that it was this one act of anger that God kept him out of the promised land. It is a type, it's a shadow. It's to show us that you and I cannot come to God, we cannot approach salvation on our own terms and perhaps that's been you perhaps you've tried to follow God on your own terms you've tried to have this sin in your life and you've tried to have God friends that's the same as striking the rock Maybe there's some things you've allowed in your life. Some sins that you know ought not to be there. And yet you allow it and you allow it and you give place to it. Friends, you're giving place to unbelief. And there'll be a high price to pay for that. Whatever you know that God says, whatever you know that God expects. Friends, do not think and do not behave opposite of it. It's unbelief. Let's bow our heads today. Father, may you speak to people as only the Spirit of God can. Those who perhaps they've never seen it until today, but they are coming to God on their own terms. They're trying to live a Christian life their own way, in their own merit. God would you show us Christ was sacrificed only once now we must confess our sins and when we confess our sins hallelujah the water of the Holy Spirit that rushing water that symbolizes the precious Holy Spirit will forgive will forgive Today, if you need to confess sin, confess it now. You're welcome to come to the altar and pray. People will pray with you. You're welcome to kneel at your chair and pray. You're welcome to bow your heart right there. Whatever you need to do, if you have tried to do life on your own terms, if you've tried to do uh, spiritual things on your own terms, listen to this warning from the Word of God say God I repent today I repent today listen this is written to our example it's written to our benefit and say God I repent and I'll no longer come to you on my own terms it's on your terms it's your way God I thank you for this story I thank you for everything it teaches us That when the internal pressures of life come and the external pressures of life come we do not have to yield to our anger. We do not have to give in to impatience for those those are forms of unbelief. But we can come to you and say God strengthen my faith. Strengthen my faith. Grow my faith right now Lord. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed I feel so prompted to tell you this. There was a a moment, uh, uh, maybe a year ago, and I was so low over this issue of blindness. I just felt so low. And I remember one day I came before the Lord, and I felt like I was struggling so much. And I came before the Lord. I bowed my heart before Him, and I said, Lord... Help me today. My faith is so low today, God. Would you help me? Would you help my faith? It's so low. It's so low. Would you help my faith? And it's like the Holy Spirit interrupted me. And it was so sweet. And the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, Chad, no, 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 no. Son, your faith isn't low. Your emotions are low. Your emotions are low. Chad, your faith is right where it needs to be. Don't confuse your faith with your emotions. <laughs> Don't get them confused. Dictate your emotions. And when I realized that, guess what? I didn't feel so low. I told my emotions, hey, whip up, shape up. God's good. God's sovereign. You're right on track. Sometimes you got to preach to yourself, amen? Amen. God has you right where he wants you. So cheer up. God's in control, not you. Look to God. And guess what? My emotion straightened its back and went on about our day, and we were just fine. Amen? (laughs) Let God grow your faith. Set your emotions to the side. Master them. Dictate to them. Tell them what to do. But let God grow your faith. He's given every person a measure of faith. What are you doing with yours? Let God grow it. Let God intervene. Let God help you. But he can't help you, my friend, if you're going to do life on your own terms. He can't help you if there's unbelief You have got to attack that unbelief and say, Jesus Christ, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, what a prayer, amen. What a prayer, what a prayer. So Father, we entrust these things into your hands. Give us strength for this week. Help us to come back next week ready to attack any unbelief because there's triumph coming. There's victory that is coming. Victory is near us in Jesus' name. And the unbelief has got to go. So help us, Lord God. Help us to get the unbelief out. Help us to get it out of our hearts. Get it out of our lives as we look to you. We thank you, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Bless your people. Bless every person here today. Bless us, Lord, as we go forward in Jesus' name.